0: We are in our series, as Pastor Rick already mentioned, of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. I mean, Paul traveled around these different cities teaching people about Jesus. People would believe, accept Christ, and then that group, he would plant a church and he would kind of move on to other cities, and then, encouragement to them, he writes a letter back to that church, that group of people, and that's what this letter is. I think it's a great title for this series. I've heard it said that if you look at the book of Romans, you see the mind of Paul. As you look at the letter to the Thessalonians, you see the heart of Paul. He is the spiritual father of this church, pouring his heart out. And I want you to listen to that. Listen for that as we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in the first verse. If you're reading in your own Bible... But as always, it's going to be on the screen, so I'd encourage you, please follow along as I read. So this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, pick it up in verse 1. Tells them, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And I want to stop there for a minute because I want to point something out. This jumped out at me. I already stopped early. You're in for it, all right? So buckle up, all right? He says right here that our coming to you was not in vain. And I want to talk about that word for a minute because that stuck out to me. Some translations say, you know, it was not a failure. This word can also mean empty, Paul was saying, my interactions, my life is full, my life is not empty. How many people listening to this sermon right now, as you go through your day, does you feel like a failure, or do you feel like your life is just empty, doesn't have purpose and meaning? I sat down with somebody this week at Swenson's. It changed my world, and by that I mean the potato bites. Have you had those at Swenson's? Fire! Like game changer! But that's not what this sermon's about. So we're sitting at Swenson's and he's just telling me, look, five hours a day, I sit on these Zoom calls so we can sell our product. And he's saying, he's struggling to find purpose and meaning in all of it. It feels empty. Can you relate to that? How much of your interactions feel meaningless and empty? That isn't Paul. Paul says, my life is not vain, my life is not empty, it's full. And how do we experience full lives? And here's what most of us do. We feel that emptiness, life doesn't feel like it has meaning, so we try to fill our lives with pleasure. We need more stuff, we need more potato bites, we need more clothes, you need a new car, you need a bigger house, and if you get going, oh, you feel empty, what do you need? A vacation, and a nicer vacation. Listen to me, if you're feeling empty... You don't need to fill your life with more pleasure. You need to fill your life with more purpose. That's why Paul felt full. And what is purpose? He defined it right there, declaring the gospel of Christ with boldness. Do you want to feel, feel purpose in your life? Nothing is more fulfilling than sharing the love of God with people. So I'd encourage you to that. That's not even what the sermon's about. That's just a teaser. So let's dive back in to the passage, picking up in the middle of the screen there. He says, for our appeal does not spring from error error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So, in this letter, what's happening here is Paul is kind of reminiscing about when he was with them. You see the title of the top of this slide here says, Remember. So, Paul's kind of reminiscing about their time. You ever do that after a trip? Kind of last Sunday, we were looking at pictures of our old Oaxaca trip and, like, saw the picture of the big spider. And we're like, oh, remember when that huge spider was above Justin's bed? He was wigging out, trying to, you know, you ever do that after a trip? That's what Paul's doing here. He's kind of reminiscing about when he was there, and he's not sharing kind of fun stories. What is happening in this passage? Paul's reminding them of his visit For a very particular reason. He is defending his ministry and ultimately defending the gospel. See, after Paul left, some people were were beginning to question Paul, his ministry, and ultimately the gospel. So what do we have here? We have Paul reminding them. He kept saying, as you know, he's not lying. He's just reminding them. That, yes, they can trust him, and ultimately, they can trust the gospel. So that's what I kind of want to unpack this morning. What does that look like? You know, for you as a believer, if you're a believer, this is a wonderful model for ministry. If you're not yet a believer, this is a wonderful defense to help you know why you can trust the gospel. That's what's going on here. To do that... We're going to talk about the message, the method, and the motivation. All three M's, but I'm not going to make a big deal of it. I'm just going to act like I've been here before, right? All right, so that's what we're looking at. What was the message? What was his methods and his motivation? And that's what he's defending. Ultimately, the truthfulness of the message in the gospel. He reminds them of the honesty of his methods and the purity of his motives. So we're going to kind of go through, and I'm just going to kind of walk through a lot of bullet points, because Paul's just laying out his argument of why they can trust his ministry and ultimately trust the gospel. First, we're going to talk about the message. And throughout this passage, he kept telling them, I proclaim to you the gospel, the good news that God sent his son to die for you, You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to try to prove that you're a good person so God will accept you. You can experience a relationship with God by grace. Not trying to make up for all the wrongs that you did. Of course, I want you to pursue a good life. But finding peace by accepting God's forgiveness and grace. That's the gospel that he preached So in defending the gospel, right out of the gate, what does he say? First, he reminds them that it is true. So right out of the gate, he tells them, for our appeal did not spring up from error. You know, as you're going to trust something and believe something, I mean, that's just foundational. Is this true? Paul reminds them, even as you look at Christianity, even compared to other religions and philosophies, It's not a matter of opinion, oh, if this is a better way to live. Jesus died and rose from the dead. It's either right or it's wrong. And Paul reminds them, the only reason I preach this to you isn't because it's just good and good for you. It's because it's true. It happened. Now, everybody that makes a claim is going to say that, right? Like, any message out there that's kind of vying for you... They're going to tell you that, oh, this is right. So that's where Paul goes on to begin to defend, okay, why trust Paul and why ultimately trust the gospel? So the message, kind of the main defense that he gives is it's from God. What does he over and over call it? It is the gospel of God. So ultimately, if you want to trust something, you have to know, okay, where does it come from? Paul reminds them that this gospel is from God. So what do you believe to be right and wrong? You know, what do you, how do you view the world? And I want to ask you, you have to ask yourself, okay, where does that come from? If that source is traced back to a liar, well, then you shouldn't believe it. The gospel is from God. But how much of us You know, what we believe and how we see the world is from celebrities or even just from kind of pop psychology. So you got to trace that back and ask yourself that question. Okay, what is a more valid source? You know, and I'm a psych guy. We've been talking about that recently as a staff. You know, okay, so what is the source of modern-day psychology? Freud. Okay, so what's a better source, Freud or Jesus. Okay, Freud, he did a lot of research and a lot of cocaine. Okay, there's his resume. That's the truth. I'm not lying to you. Like, that's the dead truth. Jesus' resume created the world, conquered death in the grave, rose from the dead, hobbies, walks on water. Like, oh. oh, I don't know. I just don't know. And we're laughing how much of us view the world because of what pop psychology tells us. We talk about different philosophies of how to see the world. People will quote Nietzsche, and I probably pronounce it wrong because he's real fancy. But the point is, you look at him. He went insane believing his philosophies. Paul reminds them, look, this gospel is from God. God is without error. And therefore, you can trust it, that this is true. So that is the message. And again, everybody is going to say their message is true. Why do we believe that the source of this is God? Then he goes on to talk about his methods and his motivation. A huge part, kind of the rest of our time, we're going to be doing kind of contrasting methods and motivations. Because a lot of what Paul is doing here. See, in the Greco-Roman world, there was a common practice that kind of itinerant philosophers, itinerant kind of traveling religious teachers would come to the marketplace. I mean, even think of, you know, Socrates and that kind of world of all these philosophers. That's how it would operate. They would travel around, and they would try to convince you of their message. The only problem is, man, we don't really have a paradigm for that, for us to relate to. So I was struggling with, okay, how can I get us to relate to this? And the Lord, in his goodness and kindness, provided me with a great comparison. So this past week, both my cars on the same day crapped the bed. As a pastor, I don't know if I'm allowed to say crap the bed, but if I lose two cars in a week, I'm going to say it. So here's the deal. Like, same day. Same day. I go in to get an oil change for 20 bucks, and then they call me up with like a $2,000 bill. Instantly, I'm like, stop it. Like quit lying. Give me my keys. And then I grabbed some Snickers on the way out because they had like a like an October treats thing. So I grabbed some candy on the way out too. I did. The Butterfinger helped make me feel better. It was a lot of snacks, and I was nice to him because I'm a pastor in the air. He's like, "Well, thank you for your kind words. Give me the keys, right?" You know. And so I take it to a friend that I trust, and he's like, "It is way worse than he said. Your car is done." And so I repented to the other mechanic in my heart. I didn't call him, but I repented because I felt bad. That same day, my wife calls me like brakes hit the floor on our other car. Both brakes go out in the same day. Why am I telling you this? It's not for your sympathy. Our cars are fine, so this isn't like buttering anybody up. We have our cars. I'm telling you this because I spent the bulk of my last week dealing with car salesmen. This is essentially what Paul is distancing himself from. Part of kind of validating his methods, he's saying, I'm not like a sleazy salesman. And let me caveat, we're all salesmen. So I'm not dogging, like, maybe you sell Snuggies, I sell Jesus. Like, we're all selling something. But here's the deal. So here's what I'm saying. You could be a wonderful, honest car salesman. I celebrate you. I bless you. I thank God for you. But if you are a sleazy car salesman, I'm glad you're here because you need Jesus in your life. And so basically that's what Paul was saying. I'm not like these kind of snake oil salesmen that their meshe- message isn't true, their methods are messed up, and their motivation isn't pure. And so that's what I kind of want to compare the rest of our time. Because that's what Paul is doing. Paul saying, you can trust me. You can trust this message. Because my methods... Or honest, my motivation is pure, I'm not like a dirty, kind of sleazy salesman. So that's what we're going to unpack, those methods. So let's look at some of those contrasts together. So the first kind of method that he contrasts is saying, I'm not a hypocrite, I was pursuing holiness. You see that at the end, he reminds them, hey, remember my conduct, how holy, righteous, and blameless it was. Thank goodness he didn't say sinless, right? So It wasn't without sin, but it was holy and blameless. So as we're looking for a model for ministry, I mean, you think of your life, the medium in a lot of ways is the message, let me ask you something. As you want to share Christ, is your life in witness a hindrance to them believing the gospel, or does it help them believe the gospel? Your life's going to do something. You don't have to be perfect, but are you pursuing holiness? Are you modeling the life that God has laid out and helping people see, man, I want that? Or are we complete hypocrites that don't kind of walk the walk after we talk the talk? Do you need to get your life straight so when you tell people about Jesus, they say, I see it in your life, I want something like that? How many people? have been hindered from experiencing the message of the gospel by hypocritical Christians. Countless. I mean, even I'm keenly aware of that in my role. How many, you know, pastors experience moral failures, people don't believe the message because of that. And let me speak to that a minute, okay? Just because you met phony Christians doesn't mean Jesus is false. Please hear me. Yes, there are phony Christians that doesn't make Jesus false, but as you're trying to share Christ, your life is either going to help people be drawn to it or be a hindrance that people have to get over. Paul reminded them as a model for ministry, to be holy. not perfect. None of us are, but to be a good representation. So that's the first method, first contrast. Let's look at the next together. Deception and bold boldness Now those might not seem like contrast but I think some of that's a misunderstanding of boldness let me unpack that a little bit because he said that we didn't have any attempt to deceive and he said that right out of the gate we had boldness part of why those are the same when we think boldness a lot of times we just think brash Like, you need to stand up in the middle of your workplace and in the middle of your classroom and say, all of you need to come to Jesus, like, eternity, smoking or non, like, okay. That is not what he means by boldness. Boldness is clear, upfront, and frank. Look, I clearly laid out. I wasn't trying to trick you into something else. I wasn't, you know, trying to pretend I'm about something else. I boldly want you to know, here's what it's about. And this is where I think in churches we can get into that, that we're not clear and frank. Sometimes, okay, just pray this prayer and then you'll get into heaven. That's deceptive. Yes, you should pray a prayer, but the call is give your life to him. Live for him. That's where the prosperity gospel is dangerous. Man, you come to Jesus, you're going to get rich. You're going to have all these things go well, and then that's not true, and people get confused. Paul in here talks about his suffering. He doesn't say you have an easy life. He says, my life is difficult, but it's full, full of purpose. He lays all his cards out on the table. Like, I don't try to butter you up. As a church, we try to do that. Part of that boldness isn't just telling you everything you want to hear so you feel good about coming here, and you keep coming. Like, let me be clear. You are a sinner. You desperately need God to move in your life. What is the opposite? Well, deception. The words he uses in here, again, that's where kind of that salesman picture comes in. He said, there's no kind of, you know, baiting the hook and kind of bait and switch. I go into one place, and we're looking at the offer that brought me in there. We're sitting at the guy's desk. This is his dealership. Like, hey, so this one, you know, says zero down and this much a month. He's like, yeah, it's not really zero down. I'm like, you probably shouldn't say that to me right now. Like, he just straight up admitted it doesn't really mean that. It's actually like 1500 bucks down. But it sounds better to say zero down. That's deceptive. Don't you just love that feeling? And somebody kind of lies to you, kind of, you know, isn't honest. I want to, we as a church, you as you witness for Christ, need to be honest. Yeah, my life isn't rosy. You're not perfect. And I want you to come to Christ, not just believe whatever you want to believe. Do you have that clear boldness? Some of that is deception, lack of honesty. Some of that. It's just distraction and, you know, making about something other than the message. And what did Paul say, right? He said, we didn't come with flattery. So I looked up the Greek word for flattery. No joke. This is the definition in the kind of Greek dictionary. I looked it up. So flattery is obsequiousness. This this is funny. That's the only reason I'm telling you this. If the definition is more confusing than the word, it shouldn't be part of the definition. The definition is meant to bring clarity. What is that word? There's four vowels in a row. That's not legal. That's crazy. Uh, It sounds like I'm sneezing. i "Oh, bless you. No, flatter. What? All right. So (laughs) that has nothing to do with sermon. Let's bring it back. Right, so when I walk into a car dealership, instantly my guard goes up, right? And then what's the first thing that happens? Kind of the flattery. It's not, part of it is they're not just trying to get you to think about the car. They're trying to butter you up so you feel good about yourself so you'll buy that car that day. And so I walk in, and my guard's up like, hey, nice to meet you, Jared. That's a great name. New haircut, Jared? Like, you just met me. How do you know it's new? And I clearly haven't gotten a haircut in six months. Like, stop. But that's what? They do Paul says I'm not using any tricks I don't have any tricks and I'm not kind of trying to butter you up and kind of get you to come so I can bait and switch you of what it is I want you because you need to give your life to Jesus all of it it's going to be hard and it's going to be worth it in full that's what Paul said was his method let's look at it. a couple more we'll go a little quicker." Paul talked about his method. he said, I wasn't aggressive, I was gentle. What did he say? I could have made demands on you, but we were gentle among you. As you're looking, how do you share Christ? Are you gentle and loving? He said, like a, a nursing mother taking care of her children. Is that a reflection? Is that accurate of how you share Jesus with people? Is that how you share Jesus with people online? I ah, don't know that you can describe that. It's like a mother nursing her children. I was gentle. I mean, how many people, again, have been harmed by aggressive methods of trying to share your faith? And that's, again, part of the reason walking in the dealership, I was just, my guards up. And they're kind of giving me deals. I had one guy straight up tell me, he's like, you know what, I've had a historically bad day. I'm going to give you a historically good deal. You have to sign today, and I'm gonna get. I'm like, whoa, like, I gotta talk to my wife. Like, it's not, that's not how I work. But it's aggressive, and that's how some people share the gospel. They manipulate and they make you feel shame, and you gotta do this. Don't do that. As you're sharing the gospel with your neighbor, could it be described as gentle, like a mother? Last contrast that he brings up about his methods Paul says, I didn't only tell you of God's love, I also showed you God's love. He said, I didn't share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves. Now, the italics are important. Now, remember the boldness. You need to be clear. You do need to tell. It's not just be gentle and be a nice neighbor and they magically become a Christian. You need to tell them about Jesus, what he's done. Encourage them, invite them to receive that. But you don't just tell them, you show them. Are you wanting someone to accept Christ in your life? Think of a way that you could bless them. What is a way that you could share your life with them? I would encourage you to do that because that is Paul's methods. Is that true of you? That your conduct is a good model? That you're clear with your desire for them to receive Christ, but you do it in a gentle, loving way as you share your life with them? Now I want to close with motivations. The motivations, here's the contrast that Paul gives. What does he tell them? We speak not to please man, but to please God. If you want to be bold in sharing Christ with somebody, this has to be your ultimate motivation. Let's be honest. What keeps us from inviting someone to accept Christ? What if they reject me? What if they think I'm a weirdo? What if, uh, what if I'm going to get outcasted at work? Is that weirdo Christian? pleasing man our ultimate motivation is i want to be accepted by my neighbor by my coworkers, and i stop caring about what does god think you ultimately have to get to that place where your motivation is god what do you want from this relationship we all know how tiring that is Aren't you tired of living in the prison of other people's opinions of you? Do you understand how freeing it gets when you get to the place with Paul that says, look, my goal, I love you, but I'm not trying to please you. Ultimately, I'm here to please God. And I'm going to tell you things you may not want to hear, but ultimately, that's my goal. It's so freeing when you get to that place. And Paul also reminds them of this next motivation, and you see the huge contrast. He reminds them, look, I'm not trying to gain from you. I want to give to you and bless you. Is that your motivation in sharing Christ? How many people don't come to the church? Why? Because they just want my money. They just want to take from me. Paul goes at great lengths to remind them, look, I don't want to take from you; I want to give to you. That's ultimately when I walk into dealerships. Why I'm nervous? Yes, you want me to find a nice car, but your ultimate goal is to make money. And so now my I, my trust is at an arm's length, and that's how people are. You hold the church at an arm's length because, wait a minute, you just want my money. Paul goes at great lengths to show them that is not true. He says, you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, we worked night and day. Do you understand his model for ministry? Paul famously was a tent maker, so he didn't take anything from them. He worked hard. Do you understand Paul's ministry? We think of him just teaching all day. There's a good chance he worked from sunup to sundown making tents. This isn't like a side hustle. Like, Paul, what you do? A little grub hub on the weekends. Like, this is hard work. And then all night he would go and teach them the gospel. So I want you to know... I don't want anything from you. We as a church don't want anything from you. We want to give to you. To prove that to you, we're going to play a little game, all right? There's a Snickers on the line. So some of you, if you've been to our church for a while, you've watched our welcome video four million times. So what we're going to do, I'm going to show you a little clip of our welcome video, uh, and when it stops, I just want you to say out what the next line is, all right? So just so you know, we practice what we preach. Here's our welcome video for every service. Listen up. Welcome to Redemption Chapel. We're so glad you're here. We want to especially welcome you if this is your first time with us. Don't worry. You're all right. Although it sounded like we're not getting, all right. So that's a warm-up anyway. We won't ask you to stand up or stand out today. So if you're new, you don't have to wear like a, hey, I'm new hat, or you don't have to like stand up and share, you know, your deepest, darkest sins, all right? One more time, Snickers bar on the line. Whoever can yell it out first, what is the next line after this? And by the way, if this is your first time with us. You're close, no. (laughs) All right, here we go. Here's the answer. We're not expecting you to give financially at all. You're our guest, and we're so glad you're here. All right. So we're not expecting you to give financially at all. You're our guest. We're so glad you're here. All right. I'm not going to throw a Snickers bar in these. There's a pandemic. Get it afterwards. I can't throw things. I'm going to wipe it off with Purell and spray it with, like, the bowling shoes spray and stuff. So here's what I mean, why we mean it. If you don't believe us, there's a reason we say this every single service. Listen, as a church, I don't want, we don't want to take from you. We want to give to you. We want to bless you. And part of can you trust The gospel, can you trust a ministry? These traveling philosophers, they would just try to take from them. Paul did everything to show, I'm not there to take from you. Now, there were other, part of the reason he could say this, other believers supported him financially. So if you are a committed Christian, and it's not for me, look, we don't make commission. So if you go to church where the pastor makes commission, leave. Like, it doesn't help us at all. It doesn't help my life in particular at all. I want you to give to be a part of God's kingdom and to free you from materialism. But I want you to know for sure, look, I don't want, we don't want to take from you. We want to bless you. And he finishes with his final motivation. What does he say? We are affectionately desirous of you. You are dear to us. You're like our kids, like a father's love. This isn't selfish. Like, I don't want to just have a big church to make myself so that we can feel better about ourselves and feel like a big deal. The reason I want you to receive Jesus is because I love you. We talked about meaning and purpose. I want you to come to church so you can receive Jesus. Because the Bible's clear, our hearts are broken and they're leaking. That's why they're empty, because our hearts are broken. And no matter how much pleasure you fill it with, you will still feel empty. Only God can heal your heart, can truly fill you. I want you to share Christ boldly, but not so you can get a notch on your belt. I want you to ask God to fill you with a love for your neighbors. And when you desperately care for them, those are the people I want you to share with. No, we care for you. That's why we give you this message. Will you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would be with us as a church. God, to be honest, it's easy to fall in to different methods. It's easy to try to use tricks to get people to come to you to not be fully bold and honest with the the call of Christ. God, I thank you that your gospel, that your message doesn't need any tricks. We don't need to dress it up It is glorious in and of itself. So would we be bold with the gospel, motivated by love, The people would receive that message. They would even receive it now as we pray. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen.